This is Andrew Joseph Bettes, the voice of Frosty Harlow from Trail of the Twister. And this is the River Heights Buzz Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the River Heights Buzz Podcast. We're on episode 52 today. We're your hosts. I'm Alexa. And I'm Candace. Today we will be talking about mystery story number 18, the mystery at the moss-covered mansion. But before we jump into that, I have a couple of things I'd like to say. The first is if you watch the show, on October 9th, 2019 was when the show premiered, which is crazy that it's three years old already. Yeah. (laughs) It's wild. It is. And here we are. We covered half of the show. We're going to talk about the next season coming in, hopefully January. Yep. Oh, man. It's yep. wild. Yeah, it's it's so strange. I saw that post the other day, and I, um, I couldn't remember exactly when it first came out because I didn't start right when it first came out. I want to say I started watching... I guess it was probably already a little more than halfway through the first season. So I didn't start there. I started at the beginning and got caught up. So I couldn't remember exactly when the first episode came out. So I was glad that they made a post about it. So now I know. And a little bit more of a sad news. If you are a fan of Murder, She Wrote, you may have seen that Dame Angela Lansbury has passed away. Mm-hmm. On October 11th. It's so sad because it's, you know, obviously that show came out in the 80s and the 90s. And it's like, it was such a popular show. And she's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, even for me, I don't know about you, Candace, but she was Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Yes, she was. She was awesome in that too. She was. She had a great voice for that. Um yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that she was as old as she was. I think she was yeah. like 96. She was five days from turning 97. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's living a full life. Like, I understand being very sad about someone passing, but when someone lives to be that old, it's like you almost can't feel quite as sad because it's not like it's something that's so sudden, if that makes sense. Like, she lived a very, very full life, and she had a very full career, Um did a lot of um, movies and and things of that nature. So yeah, it's, it's very sad that she passed. Um, But yeah, I will forever remember her as Mrs. Potts uh, from Beauty and the Beast. And I mean, Murder, She Wrote is still in syndication today. I mean, you can like turn on TV Guide channel and you'll find it playing somewhere even today. And I will admit, like, I've watched quite a bit of the show, like, on DVD and on TV. And mm-hmm. I also have been reading the Murder, She Wrote books. So, obviously, oh, really? yeah, like, mm-hmm. obviously, she's not writing them, in air quotes. Like, there's an actual author. Right. Of, you know, so, yeah, that's kind of um, how I'm keeping her alive in my heart. There you go. And one more piece of exciting news before we jump into the episode. We have a very special interview coming at the end of this episode. Yes, we do. It is, drumroll please, Andrew Joseph Perez, who played Frosty Harlow and Trail of the Twister. Love it. He was so awesome. He was. was like, 
he was so funny. Oh yeah. My gosh. Yeah. He really was. And it's not like we don't enjoy all the interviews that we do because we do. And they're all very different because the people that we talk to are all very different. But I feel like he was just so animated and so personable and just a real pleasure to talk to. So, and, but fear not, everyone, you will have more interviews coming in the future. Not saying who yep. they are. When they're coming out, you just got to stay tuned. That's right. But feel free to always guess because, I mean, if you say someone that we haven't thought of, then you might be giving us an idea. Mm-hmm. So or even, even if you've already said someone that you want us to see, who knows if we've already talked to them or not. Yeah. You don't know. <laughs> you won't know until that episode comes out. <laughs> Without any further ado, I think we shall jump into the episode, shall we, Candice? I'm ready. Oh, and just a forewarning, Candace has been extra busy with work lately, so I yeah. will be taking the reins at the end of the book, and I'll try my best. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready up until chapter 14. <laughs> if I'm just being honest. <laughs> Alrighty. So, Here, I'll do my best, though. You, We got this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, the description of this book goes... A friend of Carson's, Carson Drew's, has been arrested and charged with sending a truck loaded with explosive oranges into the Space Center complex at Cape Kennedy. Knowing that Mr. Billington could not possibly be guilty of sabotage, Nancy and her father rushed to the defense of the accused man. During the Drew's investigation, Nancy becomes suspicious of an old, spooky mansion. Behind a high steel mesh enclosure, fierce African wild animals roam over the extensive grounds. Through a rush, through a ruse, the clever teenage detective discovers that something besides the training of wild animals is going on at the mysterious moss-covered mansion estate. Many dangerous moments await Nancy before she proves Mr. Billington's innocence and thwarts the plans of treacherous subversives bent on undermining the U.S. space program. And it was, it was first published in 1941. It feels like it should be a lot earlier. <laughs> but um, it was republished by Grosset and Dunlap in 1971. Okay. I kind of wonder how different the original text is from the revised text because I feel like they're obviously talking about like NASA um, in this book. And I feel like I love, I know I say it all the time, but I love when there are references in like the games and the books to relevant real life people and or things like NASA is obviously a real thing, it's the space program. Um, so I always think that that's really interesting, but I don't know enough about that to know like when it came about and all that. So, I mean, it, it might've been around the forties and I just don't know. I, I'm not super familiar with that time period in American history. So, you know, if anyone is, please educate me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of wonder how the revised versus the original, you know, differences, likenesses, like that. 
The original text version came out on January 15, 1941. The plot outline was done by Edna Squire, and the entire book was written by Mildred Wirt Benson. In 1971, it was revised by Harriet Adams, and it's one of the eight Nancy Drew books that was given a completely different story when it was revised. In fact, the title is even slightly different. The original was called The Mystery at the Moss-Covered Mansion, but when it was revised, it was changed to The Mystery of the Moss-Covered Mansion, and that is because in the revision, not much of it really takes place at the mansion, but in the original text, most of it takes place at the mansion or like the investigation has a lot to do with the mansion. Like it's a, a much bigger part of the story. So I'm going to really quickly read a short synopsis of the original text and then follow it up kind of with just a summarization of what Alexa already said. So here's the original text. A vacation for Nancy, Bess, and George leads to the discovery of a moss-covered mansion and the strange eerie sounds emanating from inside the mansion. In trying to uncover the source of the sounds, Nancy stumbles upon a mystery involving a lost fortune. And then here's a summary of what Alexa already said. A friend of Carson Drew's has been arrested and charged with sending a truck loaded with explosive oranges into the Space Center at Cape Kennedy, Florida. Nancy, Bess, George, and Carson rush to Florida to prove Carson's friend innocent. During Nancy's investigation, she becomes suspicious of an old, spooky, moss-covered mansion and the wild animals that roam the grounds. Nancy soon becomes involved in the mystery of the moss-covered mansion. Both of those summaries, by the way, come from nancydrewsleuth.com. So as usual for the original text versus the revised text, the original was 25 chapters and the revised text that they are going over today was 20 chapters. So since these are so different, there's actually not really any text that you can compare at all because it, it's a completely different story. Of course, both involve the mansion, some wild animals, bad guys, but that's pretty much it. The original text has nothing about the Apollo moonshot or NASA, of course, because it didn't exist yet, um, and no, nothing about exploding oranges. No similarities. <laughs> so yeah, I recommend trying to get the 25 chapter version if you can. <laughs> now back to Alexa and Candace. Anyways, let's get started. So um, the book opens up and Nancy walks into her house and Carson is there looking at a newspaper from Florida. Uh, immediately, I'm intrigued because I love Florida, but, you know, that's just me. And so he apparently is looking for the secret messages that are appearing in personal ads, which I feel like that really dates it, too, because I really I mean, that might still be a thing, but I don't know. Like, it's, I don't even think that I've seen a personal ad in a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that being, like, a, a really big thing when I was much younger. But I feel like, you know, as time has gone on, that that's kind of just become a thing of the past. I mean, you know, I, I feel like most people probably don't even read physical newspapers anymore. They probably get all their news online. But, you know, it's just how things change. But um, so there's a weird message in this newspaper that Carson is looking at, and it says something along the lines of son of fruit grower wishes forgiveness will return money. Um, so kind of weird. Um, not really sure what that means. And then there's a newspaper from several days later that says natural color oranges, best antidote for growers, son's special kind of chronic asthma. Again, very strange. Sounds like there could be some kind of code in there. Um, so Nancy, you know, knows everything. And of course, she has studied codes in the past. And so she tries to solve this one. And so she's in the process of working on it. And then she hears this horrible sound outside from in front of the house and realizes that there's been a car accident in front of her house. Um, I don't know about you, but I hate the sound of a car accident. 
it's horrible. Yeah. Um, I've been in a car accident before and then I've had them happen in front of me. And like, so I've witnessed it happening before and the sounds are just horrible, like metal crushing and yeah, it's just never good. Um, and so Nancy obviously goes out to investigate, see if anyone needs help or if anyone's hurt. And she finds a man slumped over the wheel and um, the other one like contained in the car. And so um, Bess and George were coming over, uh, you know, to stay with uh, Carson and Nancy because their parents were going out of town and they were involved in the wreck too and they they seemed to be okay and george was like super mad because she said that the man came driving at them and was the one that smashed into them so um i feel like this all next part also dates the book because uh nancy brings the girls inside and she calls the doctor <laughs> you know doctors making house calls that hasn't happened in a, a long time random question what's that doesn't Bess and George have younger siblings? I don't know. Do they? I thought they did. I don't know. That might that would be kind of weird if they were only children. But then again, Nancy's an only child too. I don't know. That's weird. I'd never really thought about it. That's that's interesting. I don't know. So Bess and George don't have siblings usually. In the original text of the Ringmaster Secret. George has a nephew, which of course would mean she has a sibling. But then later on with a different ghostwriter, both her and Bess are said to be only children. Now in the Nancy Drew Girl Detective series from 2004 to 2012, George actually has a little brother named Scott and Bess has a younger sister named Maggie. But of course that's not technically canon. So, you know, while all this is happening, Hannah calls the police and uh, Carson goes out to see if he can help the man that slumped over the wheel. And uh, the police get there and think that the driver was on drugs or, or something to that effect. Um, the doctor examines him as well and says that he needs to go to the hospital. So the kind police officers give him an escort to get checked out. Um, and then they come back and they get statements from Bess and George. And then, um, you know, after all those events, they all decide to go to bed. The next day, Nancy wakes up and she's still thinking about, you know, these messages that are showing up in this Florida newspaper. And she's thinking that um, the first message might mean that the son wishes for money or something like that. And that the other message could be an acronym of NASA. Um, I don't know how she because like messages show up several other times in this book. And so she's always using. What is it? The first third or fifth ninth and 13th word something, something like that something like that yeah i don't remember how she got to that i guess she probably did that somehow like to make the sentence make sense i just feel like my brain if i was looking at that that's not what i would have gotten to but i don't know like that wouldn't that wouldn't have been the first thing I would have done. No, like I, I don't know how she got to that, but okay, she's smarter than me, obviously. So this uh, information that you know Nancy is starting to piece together makes Carson think that um, these messages might be um, something in connection with this um, incident that happened and uh, where some explosives were shipped to the Kennedy Space Center hidden inside of oranges like a you know a truck full of oranges and so 
Carson decides that, you know, he needs to drop everything that he's doing. He needs to go to Florida and get this figured out and he needs help. So he gets the girls to go with him. Um, his client is a Mr. Billington who was arrested for bringing the oranges to the space center. Um, but he is claiming that he is innocent and he believes that someone took one of his work trucks to deliver the explosives since he has like an orange packaging, uh, kind of business out of his home. Um, and uh, I really like this part because it's accurate. Uh, Carson talked about how he is not licensed to practice law in Florida. So he wants to go to Florida to help get a good attorney for Mr. Billington. I really appreciate the fact that that's accurate to the real world because, you know, you have to test for each state in order to be licensed to practice law. I Isn't that with any kind of job, though? You have to have like some kind of like, yes, you could be licensed like in one state, but you have to be, if you want to go to some other state, you have to have like some kind of license there too. I mean, I guess it depends on the type of work because like, like attorneys require licenses, doctors require licenses, um, like social workers, things of that nature. Um, I, yeah, I think that they would have to do some, either some kind of like apprenticeship residency program or take like a written test or something like that to prove that they're qualified for that state. Yeah. Um, but I just really appreciate the accuracy <laughs> of that. And I will say Hannah's going along, which doesn't usually happen. I really like that because yeah, Hannah usually gets left at home. She's <laughs> all by herself. I know. I know. And I feel like she just worries about them the whole time when they're all gone and she's back at home. Yeah. So at least she can worry about them there. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes. The whole crew is going to go. Mr. And Mrs. Billington said that Carson and whoever else he wanted to bring could stay at their house because they have to travel up north to sign some papers for some property, I guess, that they're buying. Um, and so they have a caretaker and a cook that are apparently married to each other named Anton and Tina Rosardo, which we'll get back to them because they are not pleasant to I'm, deal with. You guys can't see me right now, but I'm like literally face palming myself. Yeah. And like their names yeah. are like so close. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was annoying too. When I was like typing my notes, I was getting like all flustered when I was trying to type because like my computer wanted to keep auto correcting. <laughs> so it was a struggle. So, uh, you know, George and, and Bess really want to go with um, Carson and Hannah and Nancy, but they have to get permission first. And so um, she and Bess call their parents and their parents say, yeah, of course you can go. Just make sure that you report the accident to our insurance and yeah, then you're free to do, you know, pretty much whatever you want. They decide that they're going to leave later on that day. And then Nancy gets a phone call from Ned saying that his parents are staying at their property in Florida, which I think that's interesting. And probably the first reference to his parents having property outside of River Heights, I guess. I thought this was interesting because in the current CW TV show, Ned is from Florida. So I thought that was kind of cool. Maybe, I mean, we know that the writers of the show are fans of Nancy Drew. So maybe they had read this book and 
and maybe it inspired them to make Ned from Florida in the show. I don't know. <laughs> and they're going to have uh, a party and Bert and Dave are going to be there too, which I know you love that as much as I do. I love when the girls all have dates. Like, I think that's so much fun. Uh, and I wish that they were not just in the books. I wish they were in the games too and in the TV show, which I guess it really kind of wouldn't make sense in the TV show since we've got other boys that are in it. But if we could have had them in the games. Or even in the show, they could be ex-boyfriends. That's, a, yeah, actually that could be it. Cause I mean, you know, the teen drama. <laughs> a blast from the past. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would go with the aesthetic that they're going with, but I don't know. There's always hope for the future. <laughs> they travel to Florida. Everybody arrives safely and they are at the airport waiting for Anton and Tina to pick them up. They wait forever and they never show. And so Carson is starting to get angry, rightfully so. I'm sure you understand, you know, you travel all day long. You finally get to your destination. You want to get to where you're staying so you can relax. And then you don't have anybody to pick you up. Yeah, nerve-wracking. They end up making their way to the Billington house and no one answers the door. But then a few minutes later, Tina and Anton show up and say that they were supposed to have met the group in Orlando, which is not where they went to. <laughs> and Anton, right then and there, is super rude. Um, you know, he's not helpful at all as far as, like, being personable or giving information about what happened with Mr. Billington. Like, he is just not helpful whatsoever. He's kind of a jerk. And that's, like, a common theme throughout the book. Yeah. Between the both of them. Yeah. Like, together, they're, like, super mean. And <laughs> it, it's so annoying. Like, I was reading it, and I'm like, why are you taking up so much time and energy being rude like I just I hate that throughout the book kind of the two and the two of them are together can I just call them Antina yeah <laughs> I mean close enough because you know like the two names when you see them like right after the other it's like you're kind of like it's all one word almost yeah I mean it blends together in my brain so <laughs> makes sense best goes to try to make a phone call to her parents and George's parents to let them know, you know, they arrived safely in Florida and everything is good. And she picks up the phone and she hears a voice speaking to someone else saying to keep an eye on all visitors. And so Nancy goes to try to see if there's like an extension phone or if there's like a party line, which that part cracked me up. Because, you know, there's always little hidden gems in these Nancy Drew books that really date it, like party lines. I remember my mom telling me that when they had a phone for the first time at their house, now granted, she grew up in the 50s and the 60s, um, they had a party line. And I remember the first time she ever told me that story and I'm like, mom, what the hell is a party line? Like, I, I don't know what that is. She had to explain to me that multiple people would share a phone line and if someone was talking to someone else, You'd have to wait until they were done before you could make a phone call yourself. And I'm like, what? Like, because I mean, when she's telling me this, we're in a day and age of cell phones and caller ID and all kinds of crap like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just I got tickled when they were trying to figure out if it was a party line. So uh, Nancy discovers that there is another phone extension upstairs, but she wonders if there could be another extension somewhere else in the house. So she goes um, to investigate and she goes like out into the orange groves 
close to where the orange packing house is at. And she sees someone in the distance with a flashlight moving among the trees, but then the light disappears pretty quickly, almost as soon as she sees it. And so George and Carson are with her, but they forgot to bring flashlights. Is Nancy not a detective? Like what? Well, I mean, not only that, but I have so many issues because in my head I'm thinking, okay, what time of year is this? Uh, What time of day is this? Like if it's this time of year, it's going to be getting dark early. You're in a place that you've never been before. And it's Florida, which if you're anywhere near water, alligators, which we'll get to. But it's like, how are you going to go somewhere that you're not familiar with and you don't know where you're going and you're not going to bring some kind of light? Yeah. I mean, that's like a rookie mistake, right? Yep. (laughs) So Okay. So they decide that they're going to head back to the house and they almost get lost. But thankfully, you know, Nancy saves the day and knows exactly where she's going. Next morning, Carson wakes up and he has to meet with that attorney that's going to help him with the case that he's working on. And so the girls decide that they're going to go and actually find the packing house now that they couldn't find the night before. Um, So they go there and they find lots of people working, packaging oranges. And lo and behold, they do find another extension phone. And so they actually ask someone that's working there and they find out that the phone that's there in the packing house is like an intercom kind of system that has four extensions, two of which are in the house. And then there's another one at the side of the building. And so Nancy decides that she wants to try to test out the phone, which makes sense. She calls Hannah and says that um, Hannah says that Ned's mom had called and wants to talk to Nancy has something to tell her. The girls decide to take the opportunity to ask the workers if they know anything about what happened to Mr. Billington. Um, No one really has any information, but they all believe that Mr. Billington is innocent. So that's good to know at least. And then (laughs) poor Nancy, she almost gets hit by a basket of oranges. Oh gosh. Which probably would hurt if I had to guess. I would think so. Wouldn't think it would feel good. The day goes on and Carson is still gone with the only car they have there available. And so um, George happens to see that the Billingtons have like a boat. Um, So they decide to see if that works and to try to just boat over to the Nickerson's house. And thankfully that works. And so Nancy gets over there and starts talking to Ned's mom. And she basically just wanted to tell Nancy that they have some friends who have put a house on the market and she wants Nancy's dad to buy the property. So they could almost like be neighbors. Yeah. And so how how many 18 year olds do you know that can operate a boat? Not many, (laughs) not many, but like, I I mean, I feel like we're always saying, and I I think, you know, the regular Nancy Drew podcast has a a running list too of all the random things that Nancy just happens to know how to do. Yeah. I mean, she's just very worldly, I guess. Like she just knows all these things. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even do it now. And I'm 30 years old. Yeah. I can barely drive a car for being honest. (laughs) So, you know, they go and kind of check out the property as best they can. And it looks really beautiful and has lots of trees and shrubs and landscaping and things like that. 
Um, and then they notice that there's a creepy house that's nearby on another property. And then all of a sudden they hear this like really loud scream. That would make me right then and there not want to be anywhere near there, let alone buy a house near there. Yeah. Like, no thanks. It was at this point that Ned's mom says that she thinks whoever lives there at that creepy house has wild animals. Um, again, some kind of permit to do that? Like, I would think, right? And another, and another random thing. Like, this is the first time I've ever heard of a sausage tree. Let's go down to the speakeasy. Yeah, what is that? I'm looking at pictures of it now and it looks weird. But being honest. But like meat sausage? I don't know. Doesn't it doesn't look like meat to me. It looks like some kind of fruit. Looks... I've never heard of that before. So was it a tree sausage tree? Yeah. Okay, hold on. <laughs> oh, I see it. Oh. It's this just like the fruit is poisonous. Did you see that? No. Like what? It says that it is um it's a one like one species of tree that occurs throughout tropical Africa. The so-called sausage tree grows a poisonous fruit that is up to 60 centimeters long, weighs about seven kilograms, kg, and resembles a sausage in a casing. Oh, okay. So it just looks like sausage because I'm like, sausage is made out of like leftover meat, if you know what I mean. And seven kilograms equals to like 15 pounds. Okay, good. Because, you know. <laughs> You know me, we're not, we don't do the metric system in America. So I'm like, uh, I don't know how that translates. Just like with me, because you, for temperature stuff, you always tell me like, oh, it's this degrees in Fahrenheit. I'm like, what is that in Celsius? Because I, I know that's why I tried to be better and search it first before I say it. <laughs> <laughs> because you know me, I don't know Celsius. I don't know what the difference is. I don't, like my dad has explained it so many times, but I, still don't really get it yeah like my brain just doesn't work that way so thank you for translating that for me yeah this says someone asked i love how i can search like on something on google and then like frequently asked questions will pop up this is the most frequently asked question about this can you eat the fruit of the sausage tree and it says some wildlife eat the fruits but and this is in bold unripe fruit is poisonous especially to humans to make them edible, people bake them and slice them to eat the cooked pulp. Okay. The seeds are roasted as well and can be a nutritional resource since they are energy rich and contain essential fatty acids. Alrighty. It looks disgusting though. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> I'm being honest. Yeah, I remember reading that and thinking, sausage tree, what the, what is that? I don't know what that means, but okay. I'm glad we looked it up because I learned something new. Well, there we go down to the speakeasy to go on a rant uh yeah the more you know <laughs> yep. so uh george at this point is curious about this property and she wants to explore it more but nancy realizes you know the day's kind of gotten away from us carson's probably going to be home soon um you know but they'll go back and explore it later um so the girls head back and carson was there and he says that he had a really good meeting with that attorney 
Um, and he also came bearing gifts. He had press passes for the girls so that they would be able to watch the next rocket launch, which sounds awesome. Yeah. Like that's super exciting. So they decide that they're going to go on a tour of the Kennedy space center that afternoon. That would be something that I would really like to do. Yeah. I've never been down there. Um, here recently, there's like an extension extension of NASA, like in Alabama. And, you know, Mark, um, my husband had to go on a work trip. And so he was in like this very like Southern part of Tennessee. And I went with him and we decided to hop over to Alabama because it was relatively close. It was like 40 minutes away. And so I got to see like big rockets and it's crazy. Like they're so massive. And it kind of just like blows my mind because I had never seen anything like that. And apparently there were five satellites too. Yeah. Like that stuff is so massive. And like sitting there thinking about these people, not only working on these things, but like moving them. Yeah. Like it kind of just like blows my mind. Yeah. Those rockets are like huge. And it was kind of mind blowing. We didn't have time to do a tour because it was later in the afternoon and they were getting ready to close. But just being able to see this stuff outside was like incredible. So I kind of wish that I could do a tour like they were getting ready to do um, because they learn a whole lot about rocket building and space in general. And so, you know, they're enjoying the tour when all of a sudden Nancy realizes that Hannah isn't there with them. And so... Carson is kind of on a time crunch. And so he leaves to go meet with a commander that works there because he needs to like question him. And so the girls decide that while he does that, they're going to try to find Hannah and they quickly find her. And she apparently was talking to some man who she said she's related to kind of strange, but okay. He's apparently an engineer that works there assembling rockets. And his name is uh, Herb. Okay. He said that, uh, when the truck that came in that was carrying the explosives and the oranges was leaving, a piece of newspaper had blown out of the back of the truck and it had something on it that said something to the effect of sun on board ship, ready to be sailor for peaceful kind of action. Which and is another really confused because it makes literally no sense whatsoever. But Nancy thinks that the hidden message in that was sun ready for action. Yeah. Makes sense. The girls finished the tour And Carson is there at the end of it waiting. And so um, they meet back up and they decide to head back to the Billington house. And they get there when they all realize that there are a bunch of like personal photos that are missing. Yeah. Which that to me is so scary because, you know, they immediately think, you know, someone is using that to like identify them. That is so scary. Yeah. That's immediately what my mind jumped to, too. So, hate that. Um, <laughs> uh, George, once again, gets really angry. And she thinks that it was, what did we call it, Antina? Yeah. <laughs> she thinks it was Antina. Um, so, she goes to, like, knock on their door and they don't answer. Oh, oh I, got a, I, got, I got a clue for this. <laughs> it's locked yeah it's i mean it's true it's true 
Um, so Nancy decides she's going to call the orange packing house. No one is there um, that has seen Anton. Um, but then they both finally show up at dinner time, of course, which is super annoying because at this point they're not helping out at all with cooking or cleaning or anything like that. But by golly, they're enjoying Hannah's food. Like, what do they do? Uh, nothing at that point. Complain. Be rude. Like, if you are housekeepers, you are the ones supposed to be doing all this cleaning and everything else. Not the guests yeah. of the house. Yeah. A housekeeper and a caretaker. Which, essentially, I mean, caretaker is like a fancy word for a housekeeper, in my opinion. And those explain taking care of the house. Mm-hmm. Not not just taking off on a shopping trip and who knows what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so annoying. Like I said, they show up at dinner time to eat and Carson, I love it, just point blank says, you know, we have pictures that are missing and we essentially think that you all took them. And of course they get all offended and act like they have no idea what he's talking about and tried to tell a, a tale that they had gone out of town to visit a sick relative. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's like one of the oldest excuses in the book, but okay. Whatever you say. Um, so instead of going up to their room and eating their meal, which they had previously done, they, for some reason, sit downstairs with the rest of the, the crew. And uh, so that of course keeps them from, talking because they don't want to give away any information which is smart and tina leaves after they finish eating and then at that point carson calls the police and some officers come out and uh, they essentially tell the officers what had happened and they agree that it looks like an inside job and so they go and talk to uh, the risardos and they you know once again act dumb don't have any information don't know what they're talking about and so the next morning Everybody gets up and Tina is gone. They ate and left. And left dirty left, dishes. Left dirty dishes, which is super annoying. I hate that. That's a pet peeve. Um, and then at this point, Nancy tells Carson about the house that's for sale that Ned's mom had mentioned to her. And then at that point, Carson got a, an urgent phone call about a matter at home and has to essentially immediately leave and go back to River Heights. And so the girls decide that they're going to take him to the airport. And on the way back, they decide to take a scenic route. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of taking the scenic route. I love going on drives and just enjoying the vibe, enjoying the landscape. They decide to do that. Best see some beautiful flowers. You know, I get it. You want to go and look at them and maybe pick some up. And so she does just that and gets scared by an alligator. And when in Florida... You see alligators, apparently. You always do. They're everywhere. All over the place. Gotta be really careful. So, yeah, she gets freaked out. Her clothes get all dirty and messy. Um, so she is really upset about that, but they calm her down and, you know, they decide to go ahead and head back to the house so she can get cleaned up. And uh, they decide that they're going to meet with the realtor that's selling that house, which ends up being called the Webster House. And the realtor is uh, Mr. Scarlet. And so the girls make their way to his office, but they see that there's a sign there saying that it's closed and he's gone for two weeks. So, you know, Nancy's kind of dejected by that. And so they decide to go back to the house and play tennis for a while. 
And, you know, Nancy's mind is always going. Even if she's doing something mindless or something fun, like playing tennis with her friends, her mind is always going on in the background. So she comes up with the plan of calling Carson's friend from earlier at the Kennedy Space Center. And she wants to try to find out which guard it was that let that truck in with the explosives. And so she finds out that the guard's name is Patrick Croft and that he's been let go from his job, but he hasn't left town. He's still living in town. So they get his address and they go to meet him. And he seems like a super nice guy. And he had a lot of information about the person that he let through that was driving that truck. And I mean, he essentially described it just the way Mr. Billington looks. And it's kind of strange because he seems to be like a very believable, genuine kind of person. And so he believes that the plan was to blow up part of the rocket while it was still in the assembly building, essentially sabotage, like you mentioned earlier. That's pretty much all he remembers but he agrees that he'll call the girls if he can think of anything else that he might have forgotten about. So they leave and head back to the Billington house and Hannah tells them that she found a clue in the day's newspaper. The ad said, Dorothy's son has just released trunk. It is empty. Advise at once where to find contents. And then Nancy, uh, and well, actually I think it was Hannah first kind of realized uh, Dorothy's released empty and where the first letter of all those words spells out Drew. That's scary. Like, super scary. Nancy's mind then kind of wanders, and she wonders if that message might have anything to do with the house that Ned's mom had mentioned is for sale and maybe while the re- why the realtor is gone. And Tina did not show up for dinner. Good riddance. And <laughs> Nancy told Carson everything that had happened to them so far, and he tells her that He's going to come back from River Heights as fast as he can once he gets whatever it is that he's doing wrapped up. Um, Ned then calls Nancy and says that he wants to help her quickly solve all the mysteries that are going on. Then another phone call comes in and it's Hannah's relative, uh, Herb, saying that he's been put on a special assignment at work and he won't be able to come over to the house to meet them all until the rocket takes off and most likely everyone will be gone by that point. So, you know, at this point, we don't know if we'll get to see him again. Um, And then Bert and Dave call. So, I mean, the phone is just blowing up all night. Um, Bert and Dave called and talked to the girls about how excited they were for the party that the Nickersons are going to be throwing. Um, So, you know, it's getting later on in the evening, close to bedtime. The Rosardos still haven't shown up. They're still out gallivanting somewhere. Who knows where they are? Um, Patrick Croft from earlier, the worker that was let go for letting in the truck that had the explosives, calls Nancy and says that someone had called him. And he said the voice was similar to the voice of the man who drove the truck with the explosives. And that man told him that he better not have anything to do with Nancy or he's going to get hurt. And what ends up happening when they're talking on the phone? Someone tries to break into his house. Yeah. Could you imagine like talking on the phone to someone and then you hear commotion like that in the background and you can't do anything because you're not there? That would scare me. Yeah, that would be really scary. I would not want to hear that. Um. So, yeah, Nancy's hearing all these, like, noises in the background through the phone. So she hangs up and then she calls the police and, you know, lets them know what's going on. So they start heading there and the girls head to his house. And 
by the time they got there, you know, paramedics and officials had already gotten there and they're bringing him out on a stretcher because he's unconscious. He was beaten so bad. Poor guy. Yeah. So Nancy gave her statement to the police officer and told him everything that she knew. This is weird. And it might be more relevant because like I said earlier, I haven't finished the book. But he tells Nancy about this museum that she should go to the real eight museum of sunken treasure. Okay. Kind of weird, but okay. You know, Nancy's a busy girl. She didn't have time go- to go to museums just for fun like that. So after all that commotion, the girls head home and Nancy's really thinking that this is all her fault because she's thinking that he's the reason she, that she is the reason that he got hurt because maybe someone saw her go there to talk to him. And so it makes her think that people are following her and watching her every movement, which is scary. George then kind of wonders if Patrick is actually part of the gang and he got hurt because he messed up his part of it and ended up stopping the explosives from detonating and ruining whatever they're supposed to ruin. Just kind of an interesting thought. So the girls get home and Antina is there. And at this point, Nancy decides that she wants to call that attorney that Carson is working with there in Florida um, to let him know what was going on. But she picked up the line. Someone was already on the phone and she thinks that the phone call was coming from the orange packing house. And she heard someone say something about our day. She doesn't know what that means. Nancy then tells Tina that Anton needs to look at the packing house because she thinks that there could be like a prowler around there at some point. And Tina says that he is in the bath and she'll let him know whatever. They go downstairs and they're eating ice cream and he never comes downstairs. Like he's no help whatsoever. Neither of them are. Really? Yeah, you're right. Nancy's about to go to bed and all the other girls are about to go to bed when she hears someone trying to come through the kitchen door. Turns out it was Anton. So she, Nancy, accuses Anton of being the one to make the phone call and he gets really mad and like shakes Nancy. Like, that's so weird. Like reading that whole passage was like, I mean, is he essentially assaulted her. Like, it's so weird. And then George gets mad again and kicks his butt and it's awesome. Good for George. Like, George is such a baddie. Not that we didn't already know this, but it's like, because, you know, because she's always described as like the super sporty one. So, yeah, like, she just, she's a baddie. Anton tries to say, yeah, Tina was right. I took a bath. By the time I was finished, she was asleep. He was gone all day and wasn't at the Orange Packing House that day. So he decided he was going to go down there to make sure that these workers turned the machines off. Don't really believe that, but okay. Um, So he went to investigate. And then while he was there, he decided to call a friend of his about this surprise party that they were having for his friend's wife, whose name just happens to be Ruth. And so they were calling it our day. Okay. Yeah. Not very believable, but whatever you say. And then at this point, Tina comes downstairs and basically tells everyone that she cannot take care of so many people in the house. And so she says that until everyone leaves, she and Anton want to go and stay in a hotel. I mean, I don't know about you, but when my job gets hard, I can't just say, mm, I, mm, I can't do this. I'm not going to do anything. It's not how that works. So uh, Hannah, you know, convinces them, you know, y'all need to stay because you doing that could mean that you would eventually be fired. They kind of see it Hannah's way. 
And then the next morning, Tina starts helping with breakfast and Anton heads out to the packing house and George follows him because, you know, based on how he treated Nancy, she shouldn't trust him, which I don't either. And she overheard some workers saying that the boss was making a killing, but she's not sure who they were talking about, whether it be Anton or Mr. Billington. So very weird. George tells everyone what she heard. And so Nancy decides she's going to call the packing house and ask for the boss. And lo and behold, they say, okay, we're going to go get Anton then. So something fishy's going on. So obviously Nancy hangs up because she doesn't want him to know what she knows. So it's at this point, she decides that she wants to go and get into the house that is for sale, the Webster house. Um, So she decides to try to talk to the surrounding business owners near the realtor's office to see what's going on. But when she gets there, his place is actually open. Like he's there. And so she goes to talk to him, but he's like super weird and rude. Like, why would you say on a sign that you're on vacation, but you're at the office? Yeah, that's weird. He tried to claim he was like getting paperwork or something. What paperwork do you need on vacation? I was just about to say the same thing. Like, if you're on vacation, you're on vacation. You shouldn't, at least to me, you shouldn't bring your work along. Yeah, that's not a vacation then. So that was weird. But he finally hands over a key to that house. And so uh, they go and look at the house, Nancy and the girls, and it's beautiful. They hear that screaming again. That would freak me out so much. Like, I don't like that. That is so scary to me. And so, you know, obviously the girls go to investigate because they want to figure out where the screaming is coming from and, you know, what it is. And so they find this fenced in area with a bunch of wild animals. And this man comes up to him and he has like a whip that he's like using to keep the animals back. And he says that he trains them to be sold to the Trip Brothers Circus, which is very weird. So he's like watching the girls. So they decide that they're going to make their way back where they came from. But George and Nancy want to go back and investigate more. And so they finally convince Bess to go with them. And so they kind of keep walking along this fence line and they find that it ends at this house that's covered in moss, title of the book. Um, And the animals ended up going there and were asleep in cages there, which is weird. Nancy bought the truck nearby and she takes down the license plate because it doesn't have like a name or on it or anything. Poor George gets stuck in mud. She gets stuck so much, man. Yeah, she does. The girls come across a snake, but they leave it alone and it's okay. It leaves them alone. And as they're walking, Nancy suddenly tells the girls that they need to hide because she sees the realtor, Mr. Scarlet, coming in a car. And so they hide and he ends up getting out of the car and looks around and then leaves. And it's like super suspicious. So the girls make it home at this point and Bess takes an orange out of her pocket, which she had taken from a tree earlier. And the girls quickly realize that it's not the same type of orange that Mr. Billington is growing. So Nancy, of course, does research and she realizes that the orange that Bess had picked up is actually called a Parson Brown orange. Um, So they decide that they're going to search and try to find like groves where that type of orange is grown. And so it was at that point that that attorney that Carson is working with um, calls Nancy to see if she has any kind of update or anything like that. And she really doesn't at this point. But he tells her about this note that was left at his office that says, can a mouse with a brain of jelly capture a lion with nerves of steel? Whatever that means. 
again, doesn't make any sense. Very weird. Nancy doesn't think that there's a code in this one, but then she thinks about how there was a lion at that moss covered mansion and wonders if it could be related. Cause I mean, a very, very well could be. Antina comes in at this moment. Uh, they are super rude and go upstairs without talking to anybody. But then all of a sudden Anton came running in saying that there was a fire, which is very scary. So Nancy calls the fire department and they run through the groves to safety, but then realize that part of the grove is on fire as well. This part made me mad. Nancy offered to help and a firefighter was super rude to her and said that she was a girl and couldn't help. I wrote that down too. And I'm like, that is very sexist. It is. And like, like, who are you to say it can't, a girl can't do something? Exactly. But that's okay. Cause she shows him up. Like Tina tells them that there's a hose. So the girls start working to save the trees and they do save a lot of them. So the fire eventually gets put out and the fire chief thinks it was deliberately set. Duh. I could have told you that myself. Um, (laughs) Nancy calls Carson and he contacts the Billingtons to let them know what's going on. And so they all decide that they're going to immediately head back down to Florida. Nancy and the girls wait a little bit for the packing house to kind of cool down from being on fire Um, and they find a newspaper clipping that had that same Drew message on it. And now the girls are kind of nervous that whoever set this fire could maybe potentially set the main house on fire. But Anton said that he doesn't think that that would happen and that if he was Mr. Billington, he would forget this whole business. But he said he'll do whatever Mr. Billington wants him to do. My question is, why would the Billingtons keep the Antina when they're crap? Yeah. Yeah. Like, just fire them and get them out of here because they don't do shit. Yeah, Sorry. they really don't. Like, and they're miserable people, like super rude the whole time. Yeah. At this time, George and Nancy decide that they're going to be the two to go get Carson and the Billingtons at the airport. And then Bess and Hannah stay behind to make sure that the house is okay. And it's like, as soon as George and Nancy leave, that realtor, Mr. Scarlet, comes and demands that he get the key back to the Webster house because it apparently is no longer on the market. Um, he's very rude and abrasive, but Hannah handles it really well. And essentially is like, dude, I don't know where this key is. You need to leave. So she essentially kicks him out of the house. And so this part to me was a little fuzzy, but he somehow finds Nancy and George driving to the airport and is like talking to them. But like, is he talking to them while they're both driving? Like, I don't understand. It wasn't clear to me. It seemed like they were, yeah, they were both driving and they were talking at the same time. Yeah, it seems very strange. Like, I don't know, I don't know how that works. But he essentially gets pulled over by a cop because he was going too fast, which you get. And so Nancy and George arrive safely at the airport, but they find out that the airplane is in trouble because of jammed landing gear And that apparently the airplane is going to be making a crash landing because of that. But everything ends up being okay. Everyone is fine. And the plane lands as best as it can with, you know, landing gear that's not working. Carson and the Billingtons get off the plane and Nancy and George tell them about the fire and the Webster house. And Carson thinks that Nancy needs to contact the police about the moss covered mansion and the animals. And so um, she calls the police and she finds out that the mansion uh, was bought by a, a man, I guess, with the last name of uh, Fortin, who trained an- uh, wild animals for the circus. So, you know, that's about all she finds out. And so at that point, 
she and the girls decide that they're going to try to search for the orange groves that have those same type of oranges from before. And they find a grove that has it. And they talk to this man named Tom Seaver, who is the foreman of that particular grove. And um, they go to talk to him. But then a storm rolls in, which I feel like that's kind of a recurring theme. At least in the books we've read so far. Um, that you know, some kind of major storm pops up and kind of, you know, blocks their plans for a little bit. So they seek shelter at this grove. And then all of a sudden the lights go out and Nancy starts feeling someone trying to cut her purse strap in the dark, which that's another, you know, fear unlocked. Like I hate that. Um, and so, uh, she talks more to that foreman and he really doesn't have any information, but he points them in the direction of another grove that has that type of orange. And so the girls head that way and they meet the owner named Mr. Owen. And he said that the FBI had talked to him already and that one of his workers had never shown up again after that. And the worker was named Max Ivinson. And then um, Mr. Owen said that several sacks of oranges were missing and he had a picture of Max who just so happened to look exactly like Mr. Billington. What do you know? How convenient is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's essentially about as far as I got in the book. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I will try. I'm, you know, you know me guys, I don't go into as much detail as Candace does. I know it's a it's a blessing and a curse I swear <laughs> so I will try my best to hit you know lots of the high points so bear with me <laughs> <laughs> so it, I'm just gonna go based off my notes just okay throwing that out there when I guess when they were at the mansion um it was smart not to mention Nancy's name because you know Obviously, you don't want to have any kind of controversy and all that kind of stuff for people knowing Nancy's identity. Right. Uh, I feel as though, especially like with Bess, she gets so scared so easily. And it's like, she just keeps talking. And I'm like, Bess, just shush. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want to make things even worse than they have to be. Exactly. If I was to, you know, like they're going through the house and I would be so nervous because, you know, I don't want to get into trouble yeah. or anything like that. Will Cox said he was going to go search the whole house, but it seemed like Fortin wasn't a fan of it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Nancy has to, like, during this whole thing, I think, like, she's so worried because, you know... She doesn't want to get found out and all this stuff. And so then they realize that there's a third floor slash a tower in the house. And, you know, they obviously have to want to go through every single part of the house to make sure that they cover all their bases, all that kind of stuff. Apparently the best animal trainer saw Nancy when she was with Bess and George. And his name is Joss Longman. What a name. <laughs> <laughs> um and i felt like when they're going through the house fortin thought you know he was probably going so slowly on purpose because he didn't want to show everything yeah when they got to the basement there was like so much furniture and everything and it's like what are you trying to hide that's <laughs> like, weird 
Yeah. Fortin thought Nancy was snooping around in the basement when she was looking at different pieces of furniture, which she was, but she didn't want to say it because she didn't want to get into even more trouble than that she was already knee deep in with all this other mystery stuff that she's trying to figure out. And Nancy eventually sees a steel door, heavy, has cables, and there's all this stuff in the basement. Seemed like Longman went down prior to try to hide the door, which is like cheat to me. And George thought of, you know, that animals that they saw outside weren't being trained and that there's like, there could be some kind of something else going on and there's lots of secret rooms at the mansion. That's the scariest part to me. Like, could you imagine being in a big house you've never been to before and you see like scary big doors like that and you have no idea what's on the other side? Like, thanks, but no thanks. That sounds like a horror movie just waiting to happen. Yeah. (laughs) So when Nancy went to go talk to the post office clerk, they didn't want to give Nancy information about the Websters, but a woman in the post office, I guess, that overheard the conversation did give information to Nancy willingly. Apparently the Webster place is still for sale, even though Hmm. Scarlet's like, nope, they took it off the market, you know, which is kind of like, what's the real reason? Yeah, I don't like him. Then Nancy decides she's going to make a personal for the paper. Okay. (laughs) Once the Billingtons are at the house, and Tina decides to be helpful. Like, okay. Nancy goes, I guess, to see Scarlett, and he wasn't at his office or his house. Where'd he go? (laughs) Yeah, don't trust him. Nope. While Nancy was driving, I guess because she had gotten a uh, rental, like that Carson had set up for her, Mm -hmm. a cop pulled her over and saying that the car was stolen. Oh, God. It's just like the last thing I would want to have happen. I know, that would be horrible. Yeah. And then I guess Nancy went to go talk to Ned, and this bugged me. Ned called Nancy a little sleuth. (laughs) (laughs) What? Really, Ned? (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, like the firefighter from earlier. I guess gender roles were really a big thing back in this time. And, you know, women, I guess they supposedly belonged in the house and, you know, didn't have any business doing anything that could be potentially dangerous or something that could potentially be deemed like a man's type of role. You know what I mean? Very different than today's world. What's interesting to me about this is that like Mildred Wirt Benson, who originally wrote this, she always made it so that Nancy could do everything boys can do and more. Like that was, she has said that in interviews. She made that very obvious in the books. But Harriet Adams rewrote these and kind of made it worse. She kind of took away the feminist aspect of the books and like kind of added sexist things to it. It's a big reason why I don't like the revised text as much. Like she made Nancy so prim and proper. She watered her down a lot. Her character, her ambitions, like everything. She just seemed to make the books how she thought things should be, the way that she thought that um, gender roles were supposed to be. So not a big fan, but (laughs) anyways. The group ended up going to the Webster house and they were looking through the windows and it looked like it was flooding. And because they had seen like lights and stuff on prior and then it just like, like when the it went black and it's like okay what is happening it's so weird that yeah just like... <laughs> and of course like there's Bess she does not want to get electrocuted during this oh whole God. thing like 
really really best like i get that that's you know like it's a scary thing but obviously you have to be careful yeah you know what i mean (laughs) yeah that's Um, nothing to mess with the group um goes into the house and they notice that all of the taps were left on and that's probably Mm -hmm. why the lights were on when they Mm -hmm. got there and they thought that maybe someone took the key from nancy's jacket where she hid the key to get into the house and cause trouble Ah. When they uh, went back to the dock, Nancy and Ned, the boat was gone. Oh, God. And they had checked prior and it was still there. So, so someone was there obviously watching. Yeah. Because whoever. And I mean, if you remember when Nancy got the key from the realtor, he was like, I'll give you the key. But if something happens, I'm holding you responsible. How convenient that something happened, like the taps all being left on. The person that took the boat probably had a duplicate key and was, Uh like, hiding out, like, where the group can see and overheard all, like, their conversations and stuff, which is, like, suspicious. Uh (laughs) So, luckily, there was someone else, like, out in a boat in in the water, so they, the three of them, went to go look for the boat, eventually found it, and... When they checked the boat, there were so many different pieces missing, and that's why it didn't start when Ned tried to get the boat going. Mm-hmm. Later on, when Nancy and George were talking, George and Nancy showed interest about being an astronaut eventually in the future, which is mm-hmm. something that I would have thought back then. Yeah. <laughs> this is all happening at, I guess, NASA. Um, when the group was leaving, two bearded men was like, oh, yeah, let's take your picture and all this kind of stuff for the paper. And they ended up getting shot with tear gas when the when the flash went off. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which <laughs> is, like, crazy. And then later on, they learned, the group learns that it was just a disguise with, like, the beards and stuff because it's they didn't want to know the true identity. <laughs> Yeah, they are identity being found out. The personal that Nancy put in the newspaper ended up working. And Anton, Scarlett, Ivinson, and Fortin all arrived at the museum. So, and you know, look at that. Yeah. Ned and Bert decided to follow the men, but unfortunately they weren't able to keep up with them and they lost them in the next town. There was a bomb in Antina's room. <laughs> And they were pro- in the process of moving out their stuff, and the cops showed up. Oh my god! <laughs> and when the and like obviously like Antina put up such a fight, like no, we had nothing to do with it. All this stuff, and like liars, liar, liar, pants on fire is what I say. <laughs> Literally, when the group went to the we- the Webster house, the leopard that had tried climbing up the fence earlier ended up getting successful and jumped over the fence and onto the sausage tree oh my god <laughs> and yeah that was wild <laughs> longman was surprised that the leopard was able to do that but gave the whip to the boys to be able to catch him and get mm. him like somewhat you know under control yeah nancy had an idea to get into the secret door in the basement of the mansion by going on the van like on top and thankfully Bess had seen some place where they could get some meat with a tranquilizer in it to put the leopard to sleep for a little while. 
Smart idea. Yep. So the mer- the furniture was moving away. I'm reading my notes and sometimes I have no idea what in the heck I put. <laughs> <laughs> or it doesn't make sense. That happens to me too. Nancy and Ned ended up getting into the basement of the mansion. Um, and the furniture was moved away from the walls to so that they could see different, like, several different doors. They went into this one room with some machinery or something. And they... Um, they were overhearing that Fortin used to be a scientist with NASA and was using an assumed name. Scarlet was the one who flooded the Webster place. Longman sounded the alarm when he ended up finding Nancy and Ned in the basement, listening to all the conversations that was happening. Mm. Of course. Longman took Nancy and Ned into this room with this pool, and it was like this steaming pool. Mm-hmm. It was like a burning pool, I want to say. And then eventually, you know, obviously as time went on, the other four friends are like, what's taking so long? Eventually, the police, FBI, and NASA went to the mansion to, like, arrest everyone, figure out what's happening, all that kind of stuff. And the animals were given tranquilizers and put in their cages. And then the pool, they say, was built to dispose of intruders in case the animals didn't get them. <laughs> That is so savage. Yep. And after the raid, Fortin got away and was nowhere to be found, and he could still do something to that rocket and the astronauts. But then, eventually, Fortin was caught, finally, and he blamed Nancy on her detective work for his failure. (laughs) You (laughs) dum-dum. Yeah, you know, let me blame someone else for me doing something horrible and getting caught. Yeah. Because that makes sense. But overall... That's the end. Everything was successful. Everything went to plan. The end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we, it takes a little longer to get there. But, I mean, Nancy always saves the day. I mean, that's the overarching theme of all of this, really. The TV show, the books, the games. It's the age-old tale of good versus evil. I kind of think this is something that we should start doing as far as, like, rating. And, I mean, this doesn't have to be, like, on a you know like a a really super in-depth kind of scale or anything like that but like let's just say one out of five stars or one through five stars how do you rate this book um probably like i don't know three and a half to four probably it's like with all the different aspects of it and you know yeah, I, I feel like I'm probably around that as well. Like I said, I really enjoy when um, there are like real life aspects that are brought in because I think it it adds a little something extra to it. Um, love Florida. Uh, you know, I made the post earlier, the picture of Bess being scared by that alligator. I'm not going to lie. It made me laugh. If I was Bess in that scenario, I obviously would be very scared too, because alligators are scary and they'll grab you in a second. But yeah, I, I like this book, what I've read of it. I would probably also rate it about a three or a four. From what I've heard from other fans, a lot of them don't seem to like this version but they do seem to really like the original text version. One thing I see brought up a lot is that people don't like the whole exploding oranges thing. They think that's really dumb, which, you know, I get you. Yeah, I'd probably give it around a three. The original text is a lot better. (laughs) I really don't know why they changed it completely. Like, I don't understand why they wanted to give it a completely different story. I'll finish it. (laughs) 
<laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> time just is not my friend sometimes. And I, it just got away from me this time. So, but that's where I'm at on that. I just have to say, enjoy the interview coming up next guys. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us for a little chat this yeah. evening. <laughs> evening, afternoon, who knows what time it is. It's time and space are a construct and whatever. That's right. <laughs> Listeners, if the voice might sound familiar, Andrew is the voice of Frosty Harlow in the game Trail of the Twister. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Candace, do you want to start off with any kind of questions and that sort of thing? Sure. Let's just start with the basics. Um, what got you into this field? Oh boy. Um, so when I was, uh, let's try to do the short version of this today, Andrew, when I was like two, my mom had me in baby gymnastics and the room next door to the baby gymnastics room was tap class. And every week that she took me, I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I'm two years old. And I'm like, I want that. This I don't want. I want that. Um, and she talked to the teacher, got me into the class. The teacher was a little bit reluctant because um, at two years old, you don't have a lot of motor control. Um, and they were like, we don't want him to get discouraged if he can't physically do the things because he's just literally too new of a human. Um, but I loved it. I took right to it. I stayed in dance for about 10, 11 years. Um, that took me into theater. And I kind of had this off again, on again um, love with theater throughout high school until I majored in drama in college. And this, uh, oddly enough, Trail of the Twister was my very first professional voiceover gig. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <That's really> cool. <laughs> so that kind of leads me into my next question as far as your educational background. Yeah. Um, I So public school through eighth grade um in northern california and then i went to a private jesuit school for high school um and then got a very fortunate bunch of scholarships to a private jesuit university in seattle seattle university uh where i went in as a declared psychology major and came out with a ba in drama um, <laughs> <laughs> much to everyone's complete lack of surprise um <laughs> But yeah, that was, and no grad school or anything like that. But um, you came out of came out of college uh, and jumped pretty much straight into regional theater. Okay. Yeah. There's so many people, you know, maybe interested in the voiceover kind of field. Um, do you have any like tips or suggest suggestions about you know what they could do to like practicing or any of that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, there there are a couple of sites that exist now that are great. There's a little bit there's a little bit of paywall gatekeeping, but they're great resources for getting a foot into the door of the industry. So like voices123.com, voices.com, um, they they are paid subscriptions, but the benefit to them is that you can audition once you like pay a little bit of money up front, you can audition for everything that's being posted. Um, and it, it, unfortunately, <laughs> because of that paywall, it makes me so mad that that exists, but it, it does create an avenue into understanding what a lot of the industry is looking for, because it, you know, it would, it would be ideal if all of us could just be cartoon characters all day long. Um, that would be great. I would love that. 
Um, but those opportunities are few and far between. A lot of it is, you know, a, a Geico radio commercial. A lot of it is some corporation who needs a new answering machine service. And that's a lot of the bread and butter. Um, so if you're interested in pursuing it as a career, getting acquainted with the resources that exist and the, uh, the avenues that are super viable as income sources is a great way to start. And otherwise, if you're just kind of interested in it for fun, find some classes in your area or online. Like we've, we now live in the future. So everything is virtual. Like here, here we are. I'm, yeah. Where am I? I don't know. Um, like there, there are so many classes that are available now worldwide and just, you know, vet them, find ones that don't seem skeezy. Some of them are like, yeah, be a, voice star in three weeks those are a lie yeah um so you know find find the ones that are like legitimately this person has testimonials from people who are working um and they don't they don't have to be the jim cummings of the world but you know somebody who's out there doing audiobooks somebody who's out there doing a lot of like little bit parts in shows and video games and things a lot of commercial work if they're saying like yeah this coach is awesome that's a great class good to know yeah for like any kind of role that you have like whether voiceover like film theater any of that how do you prepare yourself or like psych yourself up to start that role um it it totally depends um so <laughs> for for example with with frosty harlow um, I had zero idea what this character was, even while recording it. I had been given a character description of his job, and that is all I got. So I went into this with like, okay, so he's a storm chasey kind of guy. He's clearly this like kind of adventurous kind of guy. Like, yeah, let's make him, you know, exciting. I had no idea who he was going to end up looking like. And when I finally saw the game, I was like, oh my God, that's a completely different human than I had in my head. Um, <laughs> entirely different human. Um, so it so it very much depends on the type of project, the scale of the project, and um, how much information is available up front. If I'm doing a seven-week run of a play in Memphis, then I'm going to absorb as much as I can in advance of that so that I can go into the rehearsal process super prepared. Um, you know, I not only know my lines, but I know this character. I know other interpretations of it, whatever else kind of thing that I can glean together, whatever research I can do. Um, but if it's a lot of what I'm doing now, which is audiobooks, then it's I read the book once, figure out who everybody is, kind of go through, yeah, all right, those are gonna be the voices and here we go. And just let them be real as much as possible. So yeah, short, short answer is it varies. It can be days and days and days worth of research. It can be one uh, quick read through and okay, let's, ooh, here we go. Uh, yeah it's all it's all over the place interesting kind of along the lines of what you were saying as you were reading for frosty were you kind of somewhat getting a feel for maybe where it was headed because alexa and i were talking before we started talking to you and at least myself when i was playing the game about halfway through i started getting a little suspicious of frosty (laughs) i i had no idea what his character arc was. I had no idea what the story was. It was the lines that happen in the game were the order that I read them originally in. So I I had no idea as we were recording what 
he was gonna do how he was gonna end up like the whole um whatever it is he's scared of the rats or whatever bit like i remember that the director was super insistent that this be like really funny and so i was like oh okay you want me to scream like a little girl i'm gonna scream like a little girl i'm gonna do what you want um <laughs> had no idea where that would fit in the context of this thing it was so um <laughs> it was so just like okay uh there's the lines um say the first one and we'll tell you if you need to do it different so i i had no idea where we were headed and i i still to this day have not actually seen how the game culminates i have no idea how it ends i was actually like thinking of that too like i was wondering if you had actually been able to play the game or not mm -mm. Uh, a friend of mine uh, so i was talking with a friend of mine who's an author i work with um and I mentioned that I was going to be doing this. And she was like, I'm finding the game. And she <laughs> sent me a, a file to download. And I was like, damn it, it's Microsoft and I have a Mac. Uh, <laughs> so I, I've seen like, I've seen some playthrough clips on YouTube and whatnot, but I, I've never actually gotten to play the game myself. <laughs> well, kind of piggybacking off of what you said, for your personal preference, do you prefer to go into a project and not really have an idea of where your character is going? Or would you rather have at least some kind of clue of where you need to end up by the end of it? I like I like having all of the information up front. Um, if, I, if I can have all of what the arc is going to be, um, it helps to clarify early on if there's anything that's ambiguous, if it's anything that's like, oh, he could be saying this, but it's a lie, or he could be saying this, but it's very sincere. Um, if there's anything that seems suspicious early on, and I know that at the end, yes, he is definitely suspect. He is for sure going to be a bad guy or whatever. It helps me to not play into that suspicion early. So if I if I know that we need to make a turn at some point, I know not to show my hand. Otherwise, instinctively, I might start being a little like, oh, I'm kind of getting ride, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And that might tip the hand too early and make the dramatic reveal less interesting. Um, so I, I get why that approach works. Um, just for me, I, I'm too cerebral, <laughs> I'm too logical. I'm like, I need to know all of the detail up front so that I can plan strategically exactly how this character's arc is going to go. <laughs> Unless I'm not given anything, in which case I just, oh, okay, say the words. How do you want me to say them? You got it. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, when you were recording Frosty for Trail of the Twister, were you able to actually meet any of the other characters of the game? Or was it just kind of like you went in, did your lines, and then on to your next part of your day kind of thing? Yep, 100% option B. It was, I, I showed up at the studio. I think, I think I rode my bicycle to the studio because um, it was in Seattle um, and I never owned a car in Seattle because I'm a cyclist and you can get around the entirety of the city by bus and bicycle. So I just, I never had a need for a car. And so I'm pretty sure I rode a bicycle that I had built from scrap parts from multiple Goodwills to the studio, locked it up out front, went in, Oh, look, here's the papers. I'm going to say these words. Scream like a little girl. You got it. Wow. Okay. And we're done. Great. I'll collect the check, I guess. <laughs> that was, and that was all of it. <laughs> Ahead of this, I tried to do a little homework on you and saw that you've kind of had your hand in a little bit of everything. Um, if you had to pick like a certain avenue as far as 
writing, acting, producing, directing, which one really speaks to you the most? Um, it it kind of depends. Um, and, it, and it's cir circumstance and financial dependent in a lot of ways. Um, if, if I could be like somehow in an alternate universe where capitalism isn't what it is, if I could be directing like children's Shakespeare productions and making a living that mm -hmm. I could eat off of, that would be ideal. I would love, I would love that. Um, it's just not financially feasible. Um, it just that those opportunities don't exist, um, which is a bummer, but with the world as it is, um, where I've actually found myself now is more comfortable than I've ever been doing full-time audiobook narration, um, a little bit of audiobook production as well, which I like. I like the technical side. It's kind of relaxing to me. It's kind of the, the knitting of the voiceover side of things that I do where I just, oh, I just have to edit today. This is lovely. But yeah, it's it's nice to be able to do a lot of my work um, just vocally and focus just on the vocals and let that be what the income comes from so that other projects have more have more uh, energetic resources available to them so that I'm not totally burnt out doing like, I, I spent four years doing a, an elementary school show touring around all of Los Angeles County. Horrible, horrible. I mean, just if you want to know what it feels like to have your soul just steadily sucked from your body, it's that, it's doing that show. Great show, wonderful message, loved what we were trying to express, but man, when you're hanging out with sixth graders every day, they're mean. Yeah. Um, they're very mean. And it, and it just leaves very little uh, energy left to be able to do the stuff that you actually care about. Right. Um, so having, having my income be able to now come from something that I also care about and something that is doable with a normal human amount of energy that I have found to be a really, really nice balance. Um, mm -hmm. Again, if I could be teaching Shakespeare to kids all day, every day, man, I'd be doing it. It's, you know, they're, they are wonderful little sponges when you give them something hard to do. So, but, eh, you know, make, make do as we go. That's right. That's right. Um, as far as doing voiceovers for books, do you have a certain genre that you do, or do you do a little bit of every type of book? Uh, I'm still much like the rest of my career all over the place. Um, so <laughs> I do, um, young adult, teen, tween, like, uh, I've gotten, I've gotten a bunch of kind of YA sci-fi mystery kind of stuff. Um, I've also gotten a ton of erotica and I've also gotten a ton of upper level anthropology. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's who am I today? I'm a Spanish vampire who's going to do some things that are not safe for work. And <laughs> then the next day I'm like a kid who's really excited about going to school. And then the next day it's talking about the situation in Juarez, Mexico and what the ethnographic layout of the city has become due to the economic impacts of immigration reform in the United States and the corruption throughout the Mexican government. It's all over the place. <laughs> that was really impressive how seamless you made that. <laughs> That was amazing. <laughs>
Alexa, do you have any other questions? I was going to ask, like, based on, like, project-wise and that kind of thing, do you have, like, out of all the work that you've done so far, is there one specific, uh, like, credit that you have that, you know, that's your favorite as of right now? Yeah, um, there there are a couple still. Um, they're both from live theater. Um, so pre, pre-pandemic, I was making the majority of my income from regional theater throughout the U.S. So I was all over the place, Florida, Memphis, Wisconsin, Los Angeles, Sacramento, San Jose, I was all over the place um, doing plays nonstop, which is a ridiculously difficult way to make money. And then the pandemic came and you know, I won't get onto my soapbox about how Actors' Equity Association really screwed their membership with access to healthcare coming out of the pandemic. They essentially doubled the requirements to get healthcare, which prices out everybody except for Broadway white dudes. Um, so, uh, I, I won't let my soapbox go on any longer than that, but, um, <laughs> because of the pandemic shutting everything down and the industry changing so much in the aftermath, I've transitioned to where I am now. And I'm, I'm in a weird way, very grateful that this opportunity has come to me. Um, but for the decade prior to that, the majority of my income was coming from theater all over the place. Um, and I did, there were two plays that I was very, very fortunate to get to do. Um, one of them is uh, titled Red. Um, it's by the guy who wrote Gladiator. Um, it's a two-man play about Mark Rothko, the American painter, and his apprentice. And it is devastating. It's so, it's so hard. And it's so intellectual. I read so many books that I never would have come across had I not done that play. But I was like, I... I got, again, if I have the time to research, I'm going to do all the research. I read every book that we talk about in that play. And so we're doing ancient Greeks. We're doing like shit that's been translated from Latin. I'm reading all of this dance, dance stuff, just going, holy crap. I need, yeah, no, I would like to know all this in order to do this play justice. It's that well written. Um, So that play, and then uh, the other play that really will always stand out is called The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity. And it's a play about race and the diaspora of America as seen through the lens of WWE wrestling. (laughs) And it's remarkable. It is it is a remarkable play. It is ridiculously dangerous. Um, we we had multiple people have to uh, leave the show because of injuries. It it's because you have to learn how to pro wrestle. You have to you have to be able to do it. And yes, there is choreography and there are techniques, but you still got to be able to just land on your back out of the air seven feet. Like you got to be able to just do it. Um, yeah. And so it's it's a it's a tough show. It's a dangerous show. It's a difficult show, um, culturally, emotionally, and physically. And getting I got to do two productions of it uh, in in the lead role, and it's uh, it, it will always be. I think I mean I could I could accept an Oscar, and I'm still gonna be like yeah, but Chad Deity was cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one more question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Lexi, you go first. If there, you know, there's been talks about like potentially another Nancy Drew game coming out. If you were asked for a future potential Nancy Drew game, would you want to come back for oh, another? Heck yeah, get <laughs> yeah, a heartbeat. I I very much subscribe um, to the Michael Caine philosophy, 
which is never turn down a role and always give it your all. And it, you know, it, it comes in very, it's come in very handy over the last two years doing audiobooks when not all of them are great. Um, some, of, some of them are very self-published. Um, and some of them are self-published, but some of them are very self-published. <laughs> and there are times that I, in the margin, I just write MC. And I know that as I'm getting close to that, we gotta be serious about this because this line is about to be terrible. <laughs> and so I, I very much subscribe to that. I'm gonna say yes to the, does it tick all the like, yes, it's a good job. Yes, it's paying. It's doing all the things that a job is supposed to do. Yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say yes to it, even if it's terrible. So I, but I would love, I would love to come back um, to do more, in the Nancy Drew world. I mean, it's, it's especially now that, um, that there's a new generation of Nancy Drew fans really. Um, Cause I, you know, I was, I feel like the dregs of the original generation is when I kind of came into it, into the series um, mm -hmm. or into the, the universe rather. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's great that we have this new, uh, this new energy for this character. Um, and I would, oh my God, I would love, I would love to be able to say I was in a Nancy Drew when you could get it on like CD-ROM at Walmart and also on Oculus. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be really cool. That's yeah. for sure. Okay. Well, I think I have one more question and I already have um, a feel for what you're going to say, but I told our friend um, that I would ask. Yeah. Uh, Alexa and I are friends with another Nancy Drew content creator named Hugh, and he wanted me to ask you about the scenes when you were playing Frosty, when you and Nancy were out in the field taking photographs, and you were very exuberant and excited, and he wanted to know if that really was you. I can tell that was you. Yeah, no, that was it was definitely me. I have no recollection of doing those scenes, but, <laughs> but it must have been me. <laughs> I mean, you were very excited and very loud, and it was just, it's funny in retrospect. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> loud sounds like me. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's all the questions that I have. Yeah, that's all the questions that I have, too. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you again, Andrew, for jumping on with us for a chat. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for having me on. I I, I love that this game is is the project that continues to give back. It, it's lovely. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of River Heights Buzz podcast. You can find us on Instagram at River Heights Buzz. You can email us at riverheightsbuzz at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook in our Facebook group and on Twitter at River Heights Buzz, just one Z. Check us out next week as we dive into part two of Midnight in Salem. Good Lord. I'm going to have a better attitude. I promise. Okay. I promise. I'll try. <laughs> I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm going to try. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll make the best of it. No promises. <laughs> Anyways, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. <laughs>